Well, good morning. Not bad, even though it's snowy this morning on a November. I'm glad that you're here this morning. If you've got your Bibles, uh, why don't you just turn uh, with me to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. If you didn't bring your Bible, we got some lovely people coming down with smiles on their face and Bibles in their hands. They want to give you one this morning. So make sure you put your hand up. It's okay to make eye contact in church, all right? Make eye contact and say, I need a Bible because we're going to be explaining the Word of God this morning and you'll need a copy of it. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, this is our gift to you this morning. Please take it home with you. Um, as we uh, kind of are, are dealing with a bigger sermon series on, on real marriage series, uh, we are walking through the book of Ephesians, uh, specifically Ephesians 5. I want to give you a little uh, pastoral encouragement, if you will, this morning. If you haven't been reading lately in the book of Ephesians, there's something there for you. So I encourage you throughout the course of this week, in preparation for next week, be getting into the book of Ephesians. If maybe you've never read it before in your life, maybe it's been a long time since you've read Ephesians. I just encourage you to get into reading God's word so that you might be able to understand the context of the passage that we're talking about here. Up behind me, if you're, uh, if you're keener and want to go deeper into specific sections of Ephesians, we have a, ma- a means of studying God's word. It's the star technique that enables you to dig a little deeper deeper to get a little bit more. So if there's something that you read in the book of Ephesians that you're like, ooh, what's that about? You can use this methodology in order to dig deeper into that section of Ephesians. And if you want that, because you don't have a pen and paper to write it down, if you want that, just send, send me an email this week and I'll send that on to you or, or tell you where you can get it at online. I'm grateful to be here, grateful to be able to open up God's Word with you today as we continue the Real Marriage series. Last week, we had Pastor Matt here, and he was talking about how our marriages are are meant to be a horizontal imitation of our vertical relationship with God. And today, we get to continue in this series, and I get the privilege and the difficult privilege of talking about a wife's role in the covenant relationship of marriage. To be clear, uh, the text today that we're going to be getting into doesn't necessarily address a woman's role in workplace or family life or in society, but rather it's very specific to a wife's role and in connection with her husband in the covenant of marriage. Why does the book of Ephesians focus on that? Well, I would submit it's because it was a loaded topic for the church at Ephesus as well as it is for us today. Amen? A little bit loaded. I feel a little bit of the heat. Not, uh, not going to lie, I'm a guy. And I happen to be tasked with sharing God's word to wives here today. And uh, I got I to gotta say, uh, I was up last night. I'm a little bit scared. This is not easy for me. Um, but I am wearing purple and I have tight pants and I'm wearing a flower. So... Uh, Maybe, uh, yeah, all things to all people, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try, I'm going to try to unpack uh, marriage uh, from a wise perspective this morning, even though I'm a man, all right? So give me some grace in that. And even right now, maybe you're here and, and you're not married. Maybe you have been married. Maybe you have hopes to be married. Maybe um, it's another situation altogether. My hope is that uh, you'll see that the, the principles we're talking about here have a lot to do with all of our relationships. In fact, the relationship of marriage is just one relationship that reflects to the world who our God is. 
Whether you're a child here, maybe you're a parent or a boss or an employee, maybe you're a citizen or you happen to be a prime minister, welcome. Um, but here's the deal, no matter what relationship you have to other people, every relationship you have as a Christ follower says something about the God you claim to know. And so the principles that we're talking about here apply directly to all of us this morning, not just to those who are married. How you relate to each other says something about our vertical relationship with God. But this is especially true of marriage. It's probably why it's so hard. Amen? I mean, there's a lot of married people here. Don't want to say amen too loudly. I get it. In fact, if I was to give you a pastoral tip to you guys, no, no overzealous amens today. All right, but here's the deal. Marriage is tough, is it not? I know mine is. I know it's, it, it's a difficult thing. It's not, it, it demands something, at least in God's design, that is unnatural. It's against everything that's within my heart naturally. It's something that uh, certainly reveals the idols of my heart. I would say that there's probably nothing, no other relationship that will refine you more than a marriage relationship. At least in my experience, it's been one that has brought out a lot of refining in me. Where I see my own heart idols and the problems that I have that I bring into my marriage. I can assure you that marriage is difficult for another reason. Every marriage here today is under attack from Satan himself. That's how the book of Ephesians ends. It's that we're in a war. We're in a war and Satan wants to destroy your marriage because, listen, it reflects a beautiful glory meant for God. And it's instrumental to your witness in our community. Therefore, if we are in a war. We need to, as Ephesians tells us, we need to pray. We need to pray that the Spirit would grant us the power today for victory. Amen? We need to ask the Lord that he would do a work on our hearts this morning. For we can't do marriage after his design unless we have him working in us and through us. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, you're worthy of all glory. Father, we are desperate today. We're desperate that you win the war for our hearts, for our marriages today. Lord, I pray that you'd grant us your spirit, that as we open up your word, you would give us wisdom to comprehend. You would enlighten the eyes of our heart that we may know more fully the hope to which we have been called to display in our marriage relationships. Lord, we come to you dependent. We come to you low. We acknowledge that Christ is our head. The one who is raised from the dead and seated at your right hand in the heavenly places far above us. Far above all rule or authority and power and dominion above every name that is named not only in this age but the one to come. So Lord we are praying that Christ would receive the glory due him in our marriage, in our hearts, through us in our community we pray. We pray that as you allow us to open up your word, you'd also allow us to have a spirit that is soft 
towards your design in marriage. That we would be able to get low, to come under your authority as we open up your authoritative word. We want your will done in our marriages and in our lives. We want to represent you well. That you might use the testimony of our lives, of our marriages, to bring more people to come to know you. To bring more people before your throne forever, declaring the greatness of our beloved Christ. Lord, all of this to say, we're yours. Our marriages are yours. We want to submit them before you. Our relationships are yours. Our church is yours, Lord God. This moment today, as we open up your word, is yours. So have your way here and your glory here. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right. If we believe that marriage is, is meant to emulate Christ's covenant relationship with us, then we better refresh on what this relationship is all about. First off, he chose who? Us, his bride. He sacrificed to make us his bride. He offered us a grace-based covenant despite our unworthy nature. Thankful for that on days where I still prove unworthy, where I still mess up. Amen? Through his shed blood, we now stand in peace with God and united under Christ, our head and our husband. And we have a hope, do we not? We have a hope that our husband has gone before us to prepare a home for us that we may be with him forever. And there will be a marriage supper of the lamb and there will be partying and we will finally be with him or reconciled to him forever with him. Why are we still here? So that the world might know. So the world might see his goodness through our relationships with one another and through the gospel that we declare. Therefore, as imitators of God here this morning, as imitators in our marriage, we choose to live out the gospel towards one another. We choose to sacrificially extend grace to our spouse, getting low to bring about peace and unity under Christ our head as we mission together to make his character, to make his covenant known. Now that's a mouthful, okay? But hopefully as we unpack this text today that we're getting into, this will make a whole lot more sense. So as we get into the word to find out what a wife's designated role in marriage is, I just ask that you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And as you're turning, I just want to remind you, these words are radical. They will war against our flesh and they will cut to our hearts. And certainly they were controversial in the church of Ephesus and they're controversial today. But I believe if we look closely at what's being spoken here to us today, we will see that there is a beautiful design in marriage. There is a blessing for each of us in marriage. And certainly God has a, best, a wife's best in mind as he lays out the ground rules for how a husband and wife relate together in marriage. A beautiful covenant that reflects his own with us. Let's look at Ephesians. Actually, let's go back uh, Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Maybe that's where your marriage needs to start today. Maybe you need to open up with a heart of forgiveness towards your spouse today. Let's continue. Therefore, 
Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Notice a couple words here. We are to imitate. This is the idea of a kid emulating their parent. Does anybody here have little ones? You have little ones and what happens? They, they, they want to emulate you. They want to be like you as they're little and eventually they want to be nothing like you, right? The reality is even my own kids right now as they're little, they, they want to be like daddy. They, I hear them throw out words and phrases that is way, that's way too above their, their age category. They're just trying to be like their parents. In the same way, we are to emulate God and God's own, specifically his own love towards us. What we need to understand is that that love is unnatural to us. There's an instruction here because it's not normal to have sacrificial love to other people. And we see here the words, walk in. Walk in love. These words, walk in, are used throughout Ephesians. You're going to notice it as you do your reading this week, right? As you go through it, you're going to see this concept of walk in. And every time Paul says walk in, the, the instructions that he gives point to a radically different and new way of living, like light in the darkness. And he continues on this theme in Ephesians 5, 3 through 14. Paul continues to tell them to walk radically different than their society, like light in darkness, in their sexual lives, in their money management, in the way that they speak to one another. They are to be radically different. And soon we're going to see that he's pointing to marriage and saying that ought to be radically different, drastically different too. Friends, it's radical back then and it's radical today to live out the marriage that we're going to see here. It's like light in darkness. It stands out. It's different, but I want to say this. It's beautiful. It's like a warm ray of sun on a day where there's just but dark clouds. Snow clouds in our context, but dark clouds. It's meant to be beautiful. It's meant to be different. We keep going. We're going to read Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 16. It says this, in light of all this, look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. The days are evil. This is true back then. This is true today. This has been true throughout all of history. In fact, if you look at all of history and how women have been treated and how marriage has been conducted through all of history, I would suspect that you're going to find that you're going to find two different extremes, both of which have not worked out well for wives and husbands. But specifically, women in the culture. You see in one culture you have what I would deem to be an ultra-liberal stance. In another culture, an ultra-conservative stance. And on each end, it does not work out well for the ladies. In Ephesus, this is evident. In Ephesus, they are worshiping Diana. And she is wholeheartedly a part of the community. She is the center of everything that's taking place there. And as a result of worshiping this image of a woman... Women are no doubt elevated by this, but in the worship of Diana, a woman's sexual and reproductive abilities are emphasized to a fault, which tends to leave and lead 
to viewing women through a hypersexual lens. Some scholars suggest that prostitution then became a part of Diana's worship. Either way, the elevating of a woman's sexual and reproductive abilities no doubt led to certain pressures and the mistreatment, even the demeaning of what a woman is. She's far more than what she does in childbearing or in the bedroom. In that same community, there was a large Jewish population. There's no doubt that they would have had an ultra-conservative stance towards what marriage was about and how a woman should act in society. They probably upheld the Jewish rules of no talking or touching a public man, a man in public. That their, that their opinion was of lesser value, certainly in the courts and in all of the public spheres. Restrictions that certainly today we can see demean women. I think this is, this is something that we see in Ephesus, but I also think that it's something we can acknowledge in our own culture. That we are either on one side or the other, it seems. That, they, that right now we have swung to an extreme with this pendulum, extreme to the ultra-liberal uh, principles and, and viewpoints of women. Women are being pushed to dominate right now. Citing past male dominance and demeaning masculine attributes to justify their own time of rule and domination. Often, they will even discredit or demean women that stand in their way, that support a man's dignity. Sadly, many movements are also clamoring for less sexual restraints on women. This is leading to unprecedented levels of sexual exploitation and sexualization of women in our culture. All oh, friends, excuse me, all under the guise of freedom. All saying this is going to shed all of, all of your restraints that you have felt for so long. Really only exchanging one form of oppression for another. Just like they did in Ephesus. All of this is a historical reaction from one pendulum swing from another. You see, we just came out of an ultra-conservative past that, that treated women in a specific way. Men often treated women as lesser and dominated them, considered them inferior in society. Even some, to the church's shame, justifying abuse while misrepresenting the Bible Routinely suppressing a woman's intelligence was commonplace and suppressing their abilities to merely specializing in only cooking and cleaning and childbearing. What I want you to see here is this, that neither end of the pendulum swings accords rightly with God's design. Neither results in a healthy environment for women in, our, in, in those types of cultures. It's like a fishbowl. As long as that fish is in that fishbowl and, and abides by the parameters, just like God has designed parameters in which us, in which we are to live and women are to function inside of marriage, if you take that fishbowl away saying, forget about the limitations and break the fishbowl, or you coax the fish out of the fishbowl, we know it does not work well for the woman. In the same way, the ultra-conservative would say, the fishbowl is too big, you must be in this glass. 
The result is equal on both ends of the spectrum. The fish is less gasping and gulping after oxygen it no longer has. I would suggest that many marriages and many women today are struggling to survive in large part because men and women are seeking to operate outside of the God-given parameters meant for their good and his glory. In Ephesians 5, verse 17 through 21, read along with me. It says this, Therefore, because the days are evil, because the culture is all over the place, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the what? Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is this saying? Friends, this world is naturally going to push you to be a complaining, ungrateful, and closed-off rebel against God's will, against God's design. But if you want to be a God-reflecting, united people, the church, full of praise, thanksgiving, who are willingly submissive towards others, hear me, willingly submissive towards others, you need what? You need what? The Holy Spirit to be running your show. The strength does not come from a substance. It does not come from some form of entertainment or a change in circumstances. The only one that can give you the strength to walk rightly with God is the Holy Spirit. And wives, you're going to need the Spirit's power to willingly live out this next instruction too. Let's look at Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 24. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wow. Our culture cringes at how this opens up. Submit. Submit to your husband as the Lord. John, didn't you just say that I'm to imitate God? But isn't God the one that answers to nobody? Isn't he the head of all things? How is it that I'm supposed to submit and imitate God? How is this possible? In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, it helps us to understand this more. I want you to understand, it says, that the head of every man is Christ... And remember that for later. And the head of the wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. That's God the Father. What is this saying? Do you see it? The Godhead has heads and submission built into it, just like a marriage. Jesus comes under and submits to his head in his Father. That does not make Jesus less equal. Or a lower member of the triune God. He's no less in dignity. He is equal. And yet he submits. You can take this further. Matt did last week as he talked about the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit was given the name the Helper. This is the same name that Eve was given in the garden. If, if the Holy Spirit is okay with the Helper, we ought to be as well. We see here that the Trinity has equal members that submit to one another. It's the same in marriage. Equal in value and esteem and in dignity, but just different. Different in roles. Maybe you're still not there. Ephesians 2, verses 5 through 11 says this. Have this mind amongst yourselves. What kind of mind? Which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, listen, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's the result? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, how does it end? To the glory of God the Father. Do you see it? Jesus, though equal, as a woman is to a man in marriage, he willingly submits. And notice how God rewards as you get low. He exalts. The end game of Christ's submission is ultimately his good and the Father's glory. Wives, the end game of your submission results in your good and the Father's glory. Friends, we must be careful. We don't like the word submit in our culture. Often we don't even, aren't even comfortable using it in church. I know for me it causes me to lose sleep last night. But here's the deal. When submitting is done rightly, it directly reflects and it imitates God's own triune relationship and nature. In other words, God submits within himself. It's a part of who he is, making it a high and honorable word, not a low and deplorable one. So don't let society convince you that something God is willing to do is too demeaning for you. So we keep going. We, we read um, that it says this, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now again, you read this as a lady, and some ladies are wincing even as it's being read right now. And even, even as it's being read right now, i got to understand that some ladies are looking at this through a lens of incredible pain in their past. Abuse, maybe, in their marriage. But look at what the implication of what's being said is. I'd suggest this isn't bad news for women. This is good news for wives everywhere in every society under the sun. This is a beautiful thing for you ladies today. Let's look at a couple words here and understand them. First, we see the word, the husband is the head of the wife. Who's the head of the husband? We just read it in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. The head of the husband is Christ. How many, I gotta ask you, how many of you married ladies 
or women maybe that are hoping to be married one day, want a man that will care for you as one that knows he's going to have to answer to God for how he leads and treats you. Ladies, that's a motivator for every God-fearing man in this building. That's a motivator for me in my own marriage that I will answer before God for how I treat my wife. On the other side, let me assure you, many women will find solace in that statement. That their husband will answer. Because while they may have been unable to enact justice for themselves and powerless to their husband's abuse, their husbands will one day answer before the all-powerful one who is perfectly just. So you see that, that, that even that title, even that con- concept is actually something meant to be good for you and protection for you. Keeps going on to say his body. What is this deal with this body? Later, if you keep reading on in Ephesians, it talks about the husband is meant to treat the wife like his own body. Giving instruction to wash you ladies spiritually. You're like, what? What's going on? Let me ask you, put it this way. Is it not your desire that your husband will equip himself with the word of God that he might lovingly open it up with you? To sit alongside you and wash you with the water of the word? Ladies, that's leadership with your sanctification in mind. And it's beautiful. The husband is then told to nourish you meaning to nurture, to tend to you with your good in mind. Is this not the desire of every woman here for a husband that is attentive to you and to your needs? Isn't the idea of a husband that makes plans to take care of you before himself a welcoming thought? I'd say it's beautiful. And that's leadership with your provision in mind. The husband is then told to cherish you. That's cherish you emotionally. To being, meaning to be a warm place for you. Is it not your desire for a husband that is warm towards you? Comforting you on your most difficult days? Providing a feeling of safety and protection for you? Don't you consider that good? That's leadership with your protection in mind. See, a man here, in, in talking about the body, using that word, it means that he is a call before God to be a part of your sanctification. Keep that in mind. Keep your provision and your protection in mind at all times. And he answers before God for that. And then you see, and is himself its Savior. What? It's referring to the way that Christ is our Savior. And how did he save us? How did he present himself as Savior to us? Did he come and just beat his chest and pump his own tires? No, he humbly sacrificed himself for our good. And a husband should too. Towards his wife. Ladies, many of you have husbands or long to have one. Wouldn't you want a man willing to live sacrificially towards you? willing to put you above himself, to lay himself down for your best interest? Is that not what you want? That's what this is calling him to. That's a husband that's being Christ to his wife. Let's continue on in reading this section. It says this, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
I gotta admit, herein lies a hard part. Maybe a husband isn't acting much like Christ at all. Maybe the words, when you see the words in everything, you've heard those words used by men who are seeking selfishly to dominate their wives. Maybe what comes to mind are a bunch of questions. What should I do if my husband is abusive? My instruction to you this morning is this. Bring it to the church for shepherding and for protection. What if he's abusing God's word for personal gain? Twisting it for his own purposes. Bring it to the church for shepherding and protection. What if he makes you choose between him and God? Your other head. Choose your higher head in Christ. And bring it to the church. You see, the entire context of what's being spoken here is a letter to the church in Ephesus. In other words, marriages are done inside the greater community of the church and marriages are meant to be tended to inside of the greater community of the church. We as a church are actively seeking to help marriages all the time. We want marriages to thrive. Why? Because when they thrive, so does the church. When they thrive, we as a community start to glorify God, Jesus, more clearly. And our message is heard. We want to be a church that's actively seeking to help you in your marriage. So don't be afraid to bring those things to the church. On the other hand, what if my husband's just straight up a doughhead sometimes? Is that a disqualifier? Should I keep submitting to him then? For the record, I've never been a doughhead. Okay? Everyone laughs, right? Because you know, you know I've been a doughhead. You know everybody in this room. I love when Kai says doughhead and gives me permission to say doughhead. Doughhead, doughhead. All right, but here's the deal. You know every one of us, right? Every one of us has been a doughhead. Every one of us men have been a doughhead when it comes to our marriages. It's a good place for an amen, guys. What do we do then? How am I called to respond to my husband at those points? Wives, response is threefold. One, get low. Get low. Stay humble. Point up to glorify God. Keep pointing your husband to God. And keep trusting in God's plan, God's design for marriage. Gently encourage him and support him when he leads poorly, and he will. Pray for him and point him to God, because that's who he needs. In the meantime, in the meantime, don't withhold your respect or bypass his leadership. Stay under him and encourage him there. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, turn there with me. He has great insight into what I just said. It says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Notice your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Let me repeat that. So that even if some do not obey the word, they're being a doughhead, <laughs> they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight 
is very precious. For this is how the holy women, listen, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What is this saying? What is this saying? Be courageous as you support your husband. Be hopeful for him. Use respect. Use gentleness to win him over. Look at the example that's given here, Sarah and Abraham. Does anybody here know the, st- the story of Sarah and Abraham? Okay, if there was ever a doughhead, it was a- Abraham. All right, countless times misleading his wife, countless times forgetting to protect her. He even pretended not to be her husband twice. Yet she respected and followed him even then. Now we're not told exactly how her gentle encouragement and long-suffering respect contributed exactly, but we do know, we do know that the promised son came through her. And we do know that Abraham and Sarah are both held in honor by God and even right here in this passage. I'm not sure it would have worked out the way it did if she wasn't willing to follow him in a foreign land and to stick with him even as he continually jacked up the plants. If she had gone to either end of the pendulum that we talked about earlier, it may never have happened and she may never have been held in honor like she is in this passage. She chose not to demean or abandon him, but stuck it out, gently helping him to a better place. And we see this evident in Abraham's walk as he continued to grow in his faith vertically and horizontally. What'd she do? She got low. She pointed up. And she kept trusting God's plan for her marriage. Will you do the same? Ladies, I got to get real here for a little, for a little bit. I got, I got to point out one, this, this, this term, holy women who hoped in God. They hoped in God. It's a lot easier to hope in God for yourself. It's difficult to hope in God for your husband. You see, you can't wrestle your husband's heart into submission of God. You might wrestle his heart into submission of you, but you can't wrestle his heart into submission of God. No amount of passive aggressiveness or openly hostile tactics or means will result in the type of husband that is found in Ephesians 5 that you long for. Truth be told, many women are in the ring right now using whatever gift or strength they have to manipulate or strong-arm their husbands. Maybe it's their words, maybe it's something else. But all the while, while this little wrestling match is taking place in the ring, God is on the sidelines wanting to get in there. And let me tell you, ladies, just like he did with Abraham, he is able to change a heart where you are not. Will you hope in the Lord? Will you hope in the Lord? Will you allow him in the ring to use his, his jujitsu heart work on your husband? What about me? I've got to be active in something. Trust me, being patient, gentle, and prayerful, living out the gospel beauty before your husband will take every ounce of your energy, especially when he's a doughhead. That's not passive at all. That's being active. 
But remember, put your hope for your husband's heart in the Lord's hands. Only he can do it. Now we skip back to that, that verse, verse 24. We see, we see that we've represented it in one way, but it has a whole other means of considering the context here. And frankly, we're often hard on the man. Why? Because in our culture, it is far safer to me, for me to stand up here and call men doughheads. Disrespecting or even demonizing men is quite acceptable in our culture, in fact. And here lies another hard part. Maybe a husband is seeking Christ and seeking to be Christ towards his wife in the power of the Spirit. But maybe a wife is acting like most churches do. Not trusting. Not submitting to God's position that he's put his hus- your husband in. What then? What then, men? What, sh- what should you do? It's the same remedy. Get low. Point up and keep trusting God's plan. Be willing to take those slings and arrows, so to speak, on the chin and be gracious and patient and loving as her leader, as Christ is with the church. And we're all thankful for that, aren't we? Aren't you thankful that Christ is patient with you and me as we figure this out? In the same way, be patient with your wives. Persist in washing her with the word. Let God's authority Let God's authority speak into her situation and present it with a humble grace, not a puffed-out, dominant, chest-pounding. Do not withhold your nourishment. Do not withhold your cherishing like there's some kind of earned favors, as if Christ ever withheld anything from his beloved. But since Matt's going to talk to husbands next week, wives, here today, When he's trying to be that man for you, let him. When he's he's attempting at being an Ephesians 5 man, don't put him down. Maybe you don't trust him as a leader. Do you trust God as your leader? Then give him room to grow into the leader that he's seeking to be. And encourage him. Be gentle towards him and patient towards him just as Christ is towards us. What's all this mean? I'm submitting here today that marriage is beautiful. Being a wife in marriage, it can be sweet according to God's design. And marriage itself is beautiful because it uniquely displays God's own glory to a world that's watching. So as a church, Do we want our marriages, do we want our relationships to imitate our vertical relationship with God? This requires both sides in a marriage, both sides in a relationship to get low, to point up, to give God the glory, and to keep trusting God's plan for your relationship. Friends, this is only, only, only going to be possible and only going to happen if you trust God in another power, not your own. We need the Spirit. And unless he's running our show in marriage, Satan will have a field day. Let's just bow with some reflective time this morning. Married ladies, how are you doing in your role 
Did you walk in here at either end of the pendulum in the way that you related to your husband? Are you actively helping your husband or hindering your husband from fulfilling his role? How are you positioning yourself to follow the Spirit in imitating the Godhead? Ladies hoping to marry. What type of man are you looking for? Is he an Ephesians 5 guy? How are you positioning yourself to follow the Spirit in this process of seeking a husband? Parents, what type of spouse do you want your son or daughter to be looking for? How are you positioning yourself to help them to follow the Spirit in this process? Older ladies. Did you say older ladies? Yeah. For sake of argument. Ladies 40 plus. In Titus, you're assigned a role as a mentor for younger wives. How are you positioning yourself to follow the Spirit in obedience to that passage? Husbands, Matt will be talking to you next week, but your prayer needs to start this week. Go before the Lord and examine yourself. How are you actively positioning yourself to follow the Spirit and imitating Christ within your marriage? Friends, church family, all of us need to love as we've been loved for God's glory and for our mission's sake. Let's pray. Father, Abba, You're so good to us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for sacrificing to make us your own. Thank you for giving us a hope and a future to be with you forever. You are good. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it actually cuts to our heart. I know for my, my life, I'm thankful for how the preparation for this sermon has challenged me to be more available to cherish, cherish my own wife. Lord, thank you for your loving rebuke. Lord, I ask that your spirit would strengthen me, would strengthen us in our inner being with the power needed to comprehend your love and extend that love to our spouses. Thank you for not leaving us in our ways, flailing about, hurting ourselves, hurting our spouses, hurting our families, hurting our community even. Thank you for wanting to be seen through our marriages. Thank you that, that I can be an imitator of such a beautiful relationship. What a privilege. What a high calling. What a beautiful and holy thing. 
Lord, help us to walk. Help us to walk in the spirit this week as we relate to one another. Lord, I pray for those who are feeling like the likelihood of a God-honoring marriage, Lord God, is but a pipe dream. Lord, I pray that you increase their faith in your power. For Lord, we believe when it comes to our marriages and relationships that you can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to your power that's at work within us. Today, I ask for more beautiful marriages in our church. Lord, I pray for more beautiful marriages in the future of our church. Lord God, I pray that we would we'd cling to you and that your glory would be shone through the marriages in this community to a world in need of seeing the life and beauty that comes from our marriage to Christ. Lord, be with us as we seek to walk this out have your glory, have your kingdom expanded through your church. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.